Good morning. It is great to be here, to be with you this morning. Um, last night, my family's in town. My mom and dad are in town. And so last night, after making, I think, literally hundreds, if not thousands, of sugar cookies that my mom made with my three kids, at the end of the night, we just sat down, and we were just done. And so we turned on the TV, and on the TV was the movie Despicable Me. Now, I don't know how I have three children, and I've never seen the movie Despicable Me, but somehow that one has escaped me. And as we're there, kind of in a sugar coma and a food coma, just laying on the TV, I'm like laying, not laying on the TV, laying on the couch around the TV, um, because our TV's flat and that would be hard to do. But anyway, as we're doing that, um, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to buy into Despicable Me or not. But within like the first opening scenes, you realize that the um, hero of the story is a villain. And then a few moments later, you realize not only is the hero of the story a villain, but you realize that there are these three little girls who are from an orphanage. And all of a sudden, I cannot wait to see what's going to happen in this movie because I think, God, I can't wait to see how you bring the lonely into families. Isn't that what you do? That you bring the lonely into families. And we can turn on ABC Family and watch that happen and know that that is a reflection of the kingdom of God. That you bring the lonely into families. And so this morning, it is such a privilege to be here with you, my family. And I am just privileged to be here amongst the diversity, amongst the uniqueness of how different we are, and yet still in the midst of all that, we get to call each other family. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the family that you have gathered here this morning. Father, I thank you that today we get to read and hear and be changed by your word. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit is the one that teaches us, that your Holy Spirit is the one that leads us, that your Holy Spirit is the one that moves us. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for this time. We thank you that you want to do a new thing. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I want to just go through a passage of scripture with you this morning. And so the passage of scripture that I'm going to go through with you is Luke chapter 2. And it is Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read it over you, and then I'm going to talk about it, and then I'm going to share my testimony, because, or a little bit of my testimony, because we didn't get anybody's testimony. We've got a testimony on the screen today, which was awesome. Um, but we got that, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about the word. And so that's it. That's where we're headed. That's where we're going. That might be as much linear thought as you get the whole talk. So if that's necessary for you to listen to, actually, I have three things you can hold on to in the first five minutes, but then after that, I can't guarantee any more linear thought. So that's it. Here we go. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, 
This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phineal of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I love right off the bat, what do you see? You see Simeon. What's Simeon doing? He's waiting. What's he waiting for? He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for Israel's redemption. But how is he waiting? What's happening in the waiting? What do we see? Here are your three things if you want them. Take them. What do we see? We see the Holy Spirit is upon him. In those first verses, we see in Simeon that the Holy Spirit, with Simeon, that the Holy Spirit is upon him. What happens next? Not only do we see that the Holy Spirit was upon him, we see that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. We see that the Holy Spirit is upon him, and we see that it has been revealed to him, the Holy Spirit. But then what's next? What's revealed? A promise is revealed. What's the promise that's been revealed? It had been revealed that he would not die before he saw the Lord Christ that Simeon would not die before he saw the Lord Christ. The Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And once he knew that promise, what did he do? He moved. He moved. And he moved to the temple where Mary and Joseph were coming with Jesus. Because that is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit moves us into the presence of God. The Holy Spirit moves us into the presence of God. That word revealed is so precious. That word revealed means divine intimacy. That word revealed means divine intimacy. And I can see that in Simeon's life, and we can take that as part of our heritage. That the Holy Spirit is upon us, that the Holy Spirit desires to have divine intimacy with us, but in that moment, in our waiting, in the moment of our waiting, we don't stay stuck. We move by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we move by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to be in the presence of God. And Simeon, in that moment, was able to hold a promise. He was able to hold a promise that's in Jesus. Because he knew that he knew that he knew that God's promises are true. You know, what is a promise? Um, there's so many definitions of promises, promises, promises. Um, Christina Bowl and Pohl, in her book, Living Into Community, has a definition of this word promise. And I want to read it over you. The word promise, she says, is a voluntary, you voluntarily obligate yourself to perform some future course of action. Okay, so you voluntarily obligate yourself to perform some future course of action. So, for instance, so when I say to my kids, I'll pick you up after school. You know, I'm not looking at him and saying, I promise I won't forget this time again. Not that that's ever happened. But what I say is that, you know, I'm saying a promise. I'm saying, listen, here's a little part of who I am, and I'll be there. I'm, 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 I'm giving you a part of my, who I am, and I'm saying something that's in the future. That's in the future that's going to happen. I'll be there. I'm giving of myself. That's a promise. Something in the future that's going to happen. Simeon knew the scriptures. 
He knew the consolation of Israel was coming. He knew that God's people would be redeemed. He knew that he was coming. And so in that moment, in that promise that he got to hold, it's not anything he did. Yes, that Simeon moved towards God, but what was so much greater is the way God moved towards Simeon. And that so much we long to be held by God, that we long to feel the Lord's embrace. But what is crazy to me in that moment is that God comes, Jesus comes so vulnerable, and that we get to hold and behold him. And he becomes vulnerable, and he comes innocent, and he comes as a child. And that we get to behold him. We get to hold a promise. We get to be in his presence He had waited for it. He had longed for it. He had received it. He had received that promise. Simeon uses the language in in verse 29. It says, as you have promised, now dismiss your servant in peace. You know, we can kind of assume that Simeon is at the end of his life, and he had been waiting for this promise. He wasn't stuck. You know, like I tend to get stuck waiting for things, um, or I'd say I get stuck. I wouldn't even say I'm waiting. But Simeon is waiting for that promise to be fulfilled, and we see it. And we see that he can't, um, he says, he says that you you now, as you have promised. Okay, that's what he says, as you have promised. And in the King James, I can't help it. I still like the King James. I can't walk away from the NIV even. These are different versions of the Bible. But in the King James, it says, be it unto me according to thy word. In the King James, that phrase says, be it unto me according to thy word. In Luke chapter 1, when Mary found that she would birth God's son, when she would birth Christ, The angel, after she had a conversation with the angel, she said back to the angel, be it unto me according to your word. Be it unto me according to your word. And so when I think of Simeon in that moment, that they're not people who believe promises on a page, but they have a relationship with a living God who they trust, who God is faithful. See, I might forget my kids at carpool. I might break a whole lot of promises, but God in his character of who he is, he is faithful. And he fulfills his promises. He changes us in his presence. That Simeon and Anna in their old age were ready to see God do a new thing. They were ready to see God do a new thing. Um, I, I love this story. And like I said, I love it. I love the re- being reminded that Simeon and Mary, they have this relationship. And you see the contrast too. Who's the gospel for? Who's Jesus for? He's for old and he's for young. He's for women. He's for men. That he is really for all. That he's for all of us. That there's no one on the margins. That he sets the lonely in family. That the gospel, that the good news of Jesus is really for all of us. And like I said, that Mary and Simeon, we see that they have this um, promise that let it be according to your word. And I love this moment. I love what's happening in this moment, the sweetness of this moment. And then all of a sudden, you get to verse um, 35. And all of a sudden, it kind of messes up my moment. I'm not really a fan of what happens next in this moment. Because um, what Simeon says to Mary, as they have this sweet moment together, um, people who have a relationship with a living God, he says this. He says, listen, here's what's going to happen. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. And I got to that passage in scripture and I was like, I I don't want that in my Christmas story. That doesn't make me feel very good to have that in my Christmas story. 
I don't, that doesn't, that doesn't give me joy to see that and to read that in my Christmas story, that you will be pierced with a sword. And that, that what happened to me, um, what I would love to share is that when I read that verse and when I kept thinking about that verse and thinking about that verse, thinking about that verse, thinking about that verse, that I felt sorrow. And I felt a lot of sorrow for, I don't know, a couple weeks and I felt, you know, when Antley has said that this is a hard time of year, I haven't, you know, there have been hard things that had happened this fall, the hard things that have happened in my family, but I felt unnatural waves of sorrow and of grief and that I couldn't figure out why. I couldn't figure out why. And I wanted so desperately to figure out why. God, why do I feel so sad? Why do I feel this grief? I remember um, I went to Target. I was trying to get all my Christmas shopping done in one day um, because that's how you do it. If you don't like to shop, you just say, today is it, and you get it, you get it. And if you don't, just it works on our attitude or character or something. And so I am at, you know, I'm at Target and I'm there checking out and I just feel waves of sadness. I feel waves of sorrow. And before I even say, let me just say this to you before I get to my moment in Target. I believe, I could be crazy, but this is a stretch, but I'm going to say it out here right now. I believe that sometimes we feel things that aren't us because we are family. And because in this body of Christ, I'm a family, I am a part of a ministry called Knit Together. And so there is something connecting that happens with my heart in the body of Christ. And so there are moments where I know your stories, and I know your loss, and I know that this is the first Christmas that somebody isn't going to be there. And I feel the grief, and I feel the sorrow of your stories, and I want to remind you that you're not alone. What's amazing about the church is that we have this language called prayer. And what's powerful about prayer is that I can pray for you and not even know you by name. But I feel your hurt and I feel your sorrow because we're family. And so I'm not afraid to step into it. I'm not afraid to step into your grief and I'm not afraid to step into your sorrow because neither was Jesus. Neither was Jesus. And so at so when I'm at Target and I'm feeling these unnatural waves of sorrow, you know, and the poor clerk, I walk up and normally I'm a smiley, happy person, but not in that moment. And so I walk up and the clerk is like, how is your holiday season? It's okay. It's okay. She's like, oh, it's okay. I was like, just don't talk to me. I felt like in that moment I could live the life of an introvert. I was like, why are there so many people everywhere all the time? Can you just leave me alone and stop talking to me? Anyone? And so I got in my car and I left the town center and I could barely hold on. The grief was so big. And I just bawled. And I just wept. And I didn't know where to go. And I didn't know what to do. And so I came here. Because there is something sacred about a sanctuary. And there is something sacred about the presence of God. And it was so powerful for me that it was the same week that the stage got ripped out. That he takes old things and he makes all things new. And that God is doing a new thing. That God is doing a new thing. After that waves of grief, I feel like I might as well just go for broke. If Jesus came naked, I might as well keep going, right? Keep going. So anyway, after that, um, after that waves of grief, after those waves of grief, the next thing that I felt like that got triggered in my heart is that all of a sudden I kept feeling I would, um, after the waves of grief, and I felt like I needed to lay everybody down. Where's the cross? I mean, that Friday I came in and I was like, Lord, I just give them all to you. I can't carry them anymore. They're sucking the life out of me, this grief, this unnatural grief. And so it was great to be able to pray 
and to leave it there and to know that God knows you better than I know you and that he's got your heart and that never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Hebrews 13.5 is a promise that we can hold on to. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Hebrews 13.5 is a promise you can hold on to. But then after that, after that grief left, I woke up and I started waking up in the night gripped with fear. I mean, gripped with fear. I could feel the fear in my stomach, gripped with fear. And it was so unnatural and it was so otherworldly that it just, it was just nasty. And I don't know if you've ever had those experiences where you wake up in the middle of the night and you're gripped by fear or you go to bed and you're gripped by fear. But it, I, I mean, God bless you. God keep blessing you because it is horrible. It is a horrible, scary, awful feeling. And in those feelings, when I got gripped by fear, I felt like it was just like a negative soundtrack in my mind. Negative, 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 of feelings of failure, of feelings of comparison, and it just kept playing all night long. And it lasted for like a week, and it lasted for a week. And in the midst of that negative soundtrack, I was like, God, get that out of me. Get that out of me. Please, get that out of me. And so I only knew to do what we do when we're in a family is I called out for help. Is I called out for help. And I asked the body of Christ to come around and please can you get me out of this? Can you pray for me that God will deliver me from my insecurity once and for all so that I don't walk comparing myself to others? Get it out of me. Get it out of me. And he did and he does. Because we have a God who came from heaven and earth to redeem, to redeem us that we have a God who in all those sleepless nights, I kept waiting. I was like, God, just six hours. I'll take six hours, five hours, four hours in a row. And it was so fun to wake up this morning, not fun, but it was so encouraging to wake up this morning to my son who was sick at four o'clock instead of waking up by some panic or some fear. Because God desires to deliver us. He desires to set the captives free. He is patient with us. He is good to us. In Isaiah, those words as Simeon was waiting for Israel's restoration, he knew the consolation of Israel. He knew those scriptures in Isaiah 40 through 55. He knew them. And so we can trust Jesus with our lives. Why? Because in Isaiah it says this, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He's gentle with us. He's kind with us. He's good to us. And like I, I want to just say it again, that Jesus is not afraid of our sin, and he's not afraid of our sorrow. He's not afraid of our sin, and he's not afraid of our, our sorrow. In Isaiah chapter 53, um, Isaiah chapter 53 says this. Oh, good. Here we go. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one, who, like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. That that is the hope. Then you will know that I am the Lord, that those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Then you will know that I am the Lord, that those who hope in me will not be disappointed, that it is by his wounds that we are healed. 
you know, in that moment with Simeon and Mary, maybe Simeon, I don't know, maybe Simeon just wanted to say to her, listen, you are not alone. You're not alone in your sorrow that's going to come. You're not alone in your sorrow. And as we read the prophecies in Isaiah, we are reminded that Christ is a man of sorrow who came to die for us. Because by his wounds that we are healed. He desires to deliver us from our fear. He desires to deliver us from our failure. He desires to deliver us from our anxieties. Because it's by his wounds that we are healed. Why? What's going on with that? After the suffering of his soul, Isaiah 53, 11, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. That Christ is satisfied in suffering. Why? Because he loves us that much. Because we're loved. Because he loves us, he loves us, he loves us. Who endures suffering? Who endures heartache? Who endures pain like that? Separation from God. It is only one who loves us so deeply, so powerfully, who gave us a promise to hold. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. His unfailing love will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. That we're loved, we're loved, we're loved, we're loved. And that is the joy and the hope and the everything that we have this Christmas is that we're loved. And so I love it too in the moment of that moment with Simeon and Mary. You can't, you can, you can, I don't know. I just tend, this is where my imagination goes a little wild. I love to think of the fact of Anna. Anna who has been there for decades. Anna who is a widow who has worshiped and praised God in the temple for decades. Day and night, day and night she's worshiped. And in this moment with Simeon's holding this baby and Mary is there and they're having this, you know, kind of, who knows, bittersweet moment that, may, that Anna comes over and she rushes in in that moment and she says this, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. She gave thanks to who God is and she gave thanks to what he was going to do. She gave thanks to God for who he is, thanks that he came, thanks that he's coming, and she gave thanks that he's here to redeem Israel. She gave thanks to what he's going to do. And so we have those bookends of holding a promise, that we get to hold a promise, and we get to wait and see God do a brand new, amazing thing. And that is what I'm beyond excited for, for us, for me, for you, is that we get to step into that story, that that gets to be part of our testimony, that we wait and see as we hold a promise, that we stand in his presence and we get to see God do a brand new thing, that God hasn't called us to wander in the wilderness. You know, there were times um, that week I wanted to call Aunt Lee and say, I need, to, I need to just not talk. I might get up there and just cry, and that would be really embarrassing for you, for me, for everybody. Like, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to pull it together because that voice inside my head said, just quit just quit. Just quit it all. And then it went from maybe I should just not talk and quit that to maybe I should just quit my family. Like maybe I should just quit that too. Christmas is too much. Like I'm just going to quit. And then in the middle of the night when those voices get so big, I was like, I think, and I just want to quit cooking dinner too. Like that would be another great thing to quit. Like if I'm quitting stuff, I might as well go for broke. Like I might as well go from like not giving the talk to not cooking dinner. But that's not my heritage in Christ. There is nowhere in our story, our story, that says that we're quitters. Joshua and Caleb saw the promised land, and those men did not have to wander. They saw the promised land, and they stepped into it. 
And that's the heritage that we have, that we get to see God do a new thing, and we get to see him do it together. Let's stand and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that there is nothing that separates us from the love of God. Father, I thank you for your presence and your promise that we get to hold this Christmas as Jesus. Father, I thank you that you came to set the captives free and give sight to the blind. And Father, I thank you that you desire for us to walk in freedom that you desire to do a new thing in our lives. Father, and I thank you that that is ushered in by your presence, that it's ushered in by your presence. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.